I'm on vacation in the Outer Banks, getting it done. The shorts here, Declan the shorts along. We are ready to roll. We have our very, very special guest with us today, the TV voice for many years of the Philadelphia Flyers, one of the best to do it, Jim Jackson with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jim. My pleasure to be here, guys, and I hope you're getting some fishing in down there, Ryan. Let me tell you, that is the one thing. I have only ever done twice in my life that I would absolutely love to do more of. And I think it is, it's a sin living down here that I don't do. The two things that I would love to do more of that I don't do enough are golf and fish in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two things most people do all the time down there, especially the outer <laughs> bank. So. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a true redneck yet, I guess. <laughs> I got to work on that one. You said that, not me. I said it. I said it. Um all right, so let's get rocking and rolling. Um, Jim, just to get started, uh, give you a little softball, um, kind of like a broad thing. Can you give us a little uh, of a backstory for us, you know, how you got into it, uh, what brought you into the broadcasting game, and what, what got you to where you are now, I guess? Well, when I, I grew up in upstate New York, a small town about an hour from Syracuse, uh, Utica, New York, which uh, actually was a suburb of that. My high school was New York Mills, New York. Never could figure that out. Why isn't it just Mills, New York? It was New York Mills, New York. But, um, And so I was in you know, graduating class 73, a small town, and I uh, had these dreams, uh, first dreams to play sports. I think we all have that, or many of us do. Uh, but I was at least... Uh, smart enough to realize pretty early on that my athletic skills were not going to get me to where I wanted to get to. And so pretty early on, I, I had an idea that I wanted to get into either broadcasting or writing or in some way following um, sports and hopefully at, at a high level. Um, and Syracuse wasn't that far away, so it kind of became unnatural for me to want to get to Syracuse University. It's a great school for sports broadcasting. My father said, hey, you're, you're going around the TV. You got tape recorders going. You're, you're com- commenting on games. Why don't you get into broadcasting? And he was right. Father knows best. And so um, I went into that and I went hard to get into Syracuse and Newhouse. I got in. I went to Syracuse for four years. My ambition level even increased there because I was around kids from all over the country, a lot of them from New York City, who had obviously very uh, high ambition. And so my my small town ambition grew even more. And uh, I just wanted to do play by play. I wanted to do broadcasting of any kind, but play by play seemed to be my favorite. And I was able to do football, basketball, lacrosse while I was at Syracuse and got out of Syracuse, went back to, to my hometown in Utica, 
with basically nothing as many of us do when we get out of school and want yeah. a broadcasting job. And I basically walked into a radio station uh, that did news sports talk in Utica and asked them if I could hang around for a month. They let me do it. Um, and before long I was riding the board, as they say, <laughs> producing would be the technical term, but pushing buttons and doing things on the, you know, running their shows, the recorded shows. And I noticed that on the weekends, this news talk sports station ran music around the sports that they had on the weekends. And so I put together this proposal, which was pretty, as I look back on it, brazen of me, I'm like 22, just out of college there on a, on a lark, basically there is a, a favor they've done for me. And I, I put together this written proposal for a weekend sports talk show around their weekend sports and they went for it. And so for me, it was hello, full-time job. Bye-bye social life. I worked from noon to midnight on Saturday and Sunday. And then they threw me like 16 hours during the week, helping out with the, the sports talk show and the news and all that. And uh, I had myself a full-time job and to make it quick, the sports director left about six months later. I was already there. I got became the sports director. Uh, I was doing at that point, local high school football, uh, New York Penn League Baseball, um, minor league hockey, ACHL at the time, and um, uh, all and, and whatever else I could that, that, that they did. They did Empire State games, other things like that. So and a, and a talk show and, and and newscasts and sportscasts. So it was great. I was getting tons of reps, tons of experience. And about nine months after that, the New Jersey Devils moved their AHL farm team from Portland, Maine to Utica and our station got the rights. And so bingo, just like that at about 23 and a half, I might've been 24 by then I was doing AHL hockey and I did it for six years. I did every single game the Utica devils ever played. And, um, and then they left, they decided to leave Utica in 1993. And I was uh, pretty much out of a job. I had just gotten married and I had applied for jobs in Anaheim and Florida, the two expansion teams and, Robbie Fatorik was the coach of the Utica Devils there in that last year. And on the bus ride home after we got eliminated in the playoffs, he was having all the players come up to sit next to him to, uh, you know, go over their summer plans. And he, he got done a little early and he pulls me over there, even though I didn't work for the team. I worked for the radio station. But he pulls me over there and says, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've already sent tapes out to the expansion teams. And if I hear of any other openings, I'll send tapes there. And he said, well, why don't you send the tapes now? Now, back then, it's a little different than now. Now you can just email and put a link and you get all your stuff out. Back then, it was snail mail with the audio. <laughs> so I had to dub myself every, you know, dub the, the audition tape every time. And I took his advice, although I fought him on it at first, but I, I took his advice and I went back and I did like 20, there were 24 teams, I think, in the NHL back then, maybe something like that. And I, and the other 22 teams, I sent tapes off to him and listened to myself way too much in that process. Um, but, uh, I got, believe it or not, I was contacted about a month later by Anaheim and uh, was negotiating with them to take over as their radio announcer or be their first radio announcer, actually, when uh, I suddenly got a call from the Flyers. And it was one of those tapes that I would have never sent out because the Flyers opening was not made public. Uh, Mike Emmerich had just decided to, to leave and go to New Jersey and also do some network stuff. So they moved Gene Hart back from radio to television. And the radio job opened up, and my tape that I had sent because Robbie Fatorik suggested it was yeah. why they called me, and I eventually got the Flyers job. I took the Flyers over Anaheim because we all know with Lindros just entering his second year, <laughs> the Flyers were going to win the Stanley Cup way before the mighty Ducks of Anaheim. <laughs> that didn't happen. The Ducks, of course, won the Cup in 07, but I do not regret the decision at all. It's been 30 years now, and um, 
just an absolutely great run. I did two years of radio and then Gene retired and uh, I followed him. I never say replaced. He's irreplaceable, but I followed him into the TV booth in 95 and have been there ever since and um, just enjoyed it all along. I mean, obviously the last 10 years haven't been as fun. The team hasn't been as uh, successful and they haven't gone on the deep runs that they did almost regularly through my first 15 years or so, but uh it's uh, still every day uh, I get up and I have a game to do that night and my feet at the ground. I'm a happy camper. So um, living my dream, my, my professional dream. Um, and I now broadcast coach as well. Um, I did 14 years of the Phillies too. I started those guys in the 07 that, that basically started. I was going to lunch once a year or so with David Montgomery. And he was always asking me about his broadcast team, what I thought of it and all that. And then eventually uh, we had the lockout in 0405 that, where we didn't play hockey at all. And I did a, I did a year of double A baseball with Trenton and he heard some of my work. And he said, you know, while we've had these conversations and I've asked you about my, why don't you, you know, do you want to become part of the broadcast team? And I said, that would be awesome. And so in 07, I started first five years. Phillies won the division, obviously won the world championship in 08, rode in the, in the parade, which was uh, an experience I'll never forget. <clears throat> and basically, um, did 14 years of the Phillies, but during the pandemic, they basically started cutting and uh, decided that my uh, position was uh, not necessary anymore. They found out it was a little bit last year because they didn't really replace me and it didn't work too well and they didn't get a great response. And then now this year it's worked out well because Greg Murphy has taken over and Murph had uh, you guys had him on your show. He's a great guy, super guy, doing a great job with the show. And he had an illness as well. And uh, it's great that he's been able to get back. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, as I think I was telling you guys before we went, went on, um, I've enjoyed the two summers off. I think that while you're working, you sometimes get into a rhythm of work that you don't realize what you're missing. And, um, I'm enjoying the summers off. Miss the paycheck, but uh, do not miss the, the job itself. Uh, I miss the people. I miss the ballpark. But I, I do not miss the getting up every day and having to be on every day to do a game because baseball is a grind, 162 games. And, you know, you're basically getting 15 to 16 days off maybe the whole season. And it's, uh, it's good to have a summer. And now I, I get to rev up and be ready for hockey. So um, I'm not to... Not missing the actual job at all, and but I, I treasured 14 years with a great organization, some great times, and it was it was a lot of fun. And now, as I said, entering my 30th year with the Flyers, so it's been been a long ride, but uh, enjoying it. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead, Jacqueline. Sure. Um, so you said coming out of high school, you you obviously you wanted to play net professional sports, but you realized you couldn't, and you you wanted to work in sports. Was there ever a thought that, hey, maybe I want to work as an analytics guy, a journalist, hell, even work for team management, or was it always just commentary? And when you got into broadcasting, did you ever really have a guy that you always looked up to? First of all, let me say this. It wasn't in high school when I realized I wasn't good enough. Luckily, <laughs> it was probably in Little League. I was, I, was, I was pretty early. I mean, I played Little League, Pop Warner. They called it Bitty Basketball. There was, I didn't play youth hockey. There was no hockey at my high school. So I, I was as short-sighted as we are as kids. It was like, well, if there's no, no hockey at my high school, why should I bother playing? So I didn't play ho hockey outside of a uh, kid up the street, had a rink every winter, and we were always on that rink. But uh, – uh, organized hockey, I did not play, but the other three sports I did. And I realized very quickly that I wasn't going to make it. So uh, to answer your question, um, writing absolutely was in the mix the whole time. I didn't, it wasn't specifically broadcast, but my father said, 
you know, you, you write fine, but you're always talking about the games. Like I would take tape recorders and sit there and uh, do the game uh, off the TV. And I sometimes have friend over and we, we do a two man broadcast and he said, you're always doing that stuff. You love the stats. Analytics didn't even exist back then, but stats certainly did. And I was fully immersed in stats. So, but I never thought of a job in management. Um, it was either writing or broadcasting. Um, and it just seemed like I fell into broadcasting. Um, as I matured through puberty, the voice dropped. I had a decent voice and, uh, the, you know, it seemed like that, that was the, the way to go. But if I had ever had to, and you always have to write as part of being a broadcaster too, um, I, I would have not, had no problem with that. And during the course of my time in Philly, I uh, sporadically written some columns and so forth. So um, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't have any problem with that right now. It's all kind of guys becoming one writing uh, radio, television, internet, it's all kind of morphing into one thing. I think we're seeing that. And, uh, so I think you have to, to basically be good at all of them. Yeah. Like I know when I originally had started out of, uh, high school into, you know, community college at Bucks community college, I was looking into a broadcast kind of thing. It was, well, you have to look into really TV or radio. And now it's just like one of these multimedia. It's one of these, like you said, it's, it's very, very rounded in a sense. It's not like it was before where it was, you can go this way or that way. It's kind of, you got to be a jack of all trades at this point. Yeah. And a lot of people, in fact, uh, Broads, my buddy Broads, just starting on the uh, afternoon show now on uh, Fanatic, uh, you know, you just create an internet show all by yourself. And if you're good and, and you really work hard, you know, you can work your way into the other medium. And then yeah. that's, you know, obviously that show is actually streamed on NBC Sports Philadelphia. So he's actually in radio and television in a way uh, and all that from doing it on the Internet to start, you know, a YouTube show or or what have you podcast like this. So you, you, there, there's ways to do it. And I, and I teach broadcast coaching uh, and now I teach broadcast through coaching. And, and a lot of it, I say, is you have an advantage I never had in that you can get uh, reps at home. You know, we, we can all create a podcast. <clears throat> we can all create a YouTube show. So, um, you know, we basically can get reps, whether anybody subscribes or watches, that doesn't matter. You're getting reps. And the only way you get better is to do it over and over and over again. So, and answer the other part of your question, I had four go-to people in you know, each of the four major sports. Uh, soccer wasn't as big back then, but um, my uh, baseball guy was Bob Murphy. who was the Mets broadcaster who I, uh, just loved his style. Uh, you could always tell with Bob mm, 15 seconds in whether the Mets were up or not. <laughs> the tone of his voice, but I, I just loved his broadcasting style. Very descriptive, colorful, and uh, enthusiastic. Uh, Marv Albert was my basketball guy. As you can tell, I was a New York sports fan. I was in upstate New York, so um, a lot of my favorite broadcasters were New York broadcasters. My football guy, though, was a national guy. was Pat Summerall, who was just the essence of uh, – um, less is more in broadcast, which I wish I would follow more often. It's something my enthusiasm sometimes doesn't allow me to, but, but uh, his, his ability to just with certain tonal changes in his voice without a lot of words, being able to, to tell you that it was a big play was awesome. And uh, what am I forgetting? Hockey, of course, Dan Kelly, who was a uh, national, although he was a local broadcaster too, but I, I saw him nationally. Um, and Dan was just, uh, I loved his goal call. I loved everything about his call. He made games very exciting. So those are my four announcers that I, 
I, I, you know, and these were when I was a kid. So these, this is predated. You guys probably don't even know some of these guys, but um, this was when I was really, really young. As I, as I got older, I mean, I loved Bob Costas the way he just handles all broadcasts. Uh, uh, and and current day, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of guys, but I mean, Joe Buck, who takes a lot of heat in Philadelphia, but uh, he's he's uber talented and he's very good at what he does. People people get all caught up. I, I I've got so many stories to tell you about broadcasters myself and others doing games and having people criticize you from both both sides uh, i'll tell you one from john davidson you guys familiar with john davidson i know the name it it, it rings a bell i'm not yeah, uh, he's now he's currently a president i think president's the title of the uh, the columbus blue jackets but he okay. used to be a goaltender with the rangers and then he graduated into being an analyst and he and bill clement were the top hockey analysts of the 90s into the aughts i would say up up until like the mid aughts um they were they were the top hockey analysts and uh, he was working for the rangers but also working for fox and the flyers played the rangers in the playoffs in uh 19 let's see this would have been 1997 and on their way to the finals and uh it was a pretty contentious it was a contentious series so a lot was happening and we weren't doing the games uh, the the nationals were 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 doing were taking over at that point but i was doing talk shows pre and post on ip uh, with steve coates and so there was a game here in the afternoon i think wayne gretzky actually scored a hat trick in that game and there was a brawl and there was all kinds of stuff going on bad calls whatever and so we're on and the fans are all revved up afterwards and um, one of them calls in and says, you know that John Davidson, how can they have a Ranger announcer do this series? I mean, he was so biased. It was ridiculous. And I simply said, well, you know, I, I was at the game, so I didn't see the broadcast, but I know John Davidson, he's a true pro. And I, I have a hard time believing that he was really biased. Uh, I really do. So, um, that night I get a call from JD and he said, Hey, I, I was listening as I was driving out of town. I was listening on IP and I appreciate you having my back on that. And I said, Oh, JD, I know your work. I know it's just these fans getting riled up. He says, yeah, funny thing is I got to Trent and I started to lose IP. So I turned the fan in New York on and I was getting ripped in New York for overcompensating and being pro flyers. <laughs> so, and that is so true. I mean, when you do national games, I see it all the time when I've done some and you get both sides saying you're biased toward the other team. And the reason that happens is because they're used to their local guys and the local guys slanted heavily toward the local team. I mean, if you turn on a Flyers broadcast, you can tell Keith Jones and I are broadcasting to a Flyers audience. I mean, it's pretty obvious. So when the fans don't get that and they get straight down the middle to them, it appears like it's slanted the other way and then vice versa for the other other fans. So um, it, that's just what comes with the territory. You, you can get different perspectives uh, and you get different perspectives all the time. Yeah, I feel like. You know, in baseball, at least nowadays, and also I do, Marv Albert was one of my favorites as well. You know, I, I caught him at the end of his career, obviously, but love, love Marv Albert. Um, but no, I think for me, you know, to bring up that point that you have, like Joe Davis with the Dodgers and now being the lead analyst for Fox and Matt Vaskirjian with, you know, he's been everywhere with San Diego. And I think the Angels now was MLB, the, the show, you know, the voice of that and, and with ESPN for a while. Yeah, there's a huge difference. It's funny. You hear Matt call an Angels game now. Um, like, he called the Bryce Harper home, the Grand Slam over the Angels, um, and then the, the Bryson Stott walk-off home run in the same game. And you know he's an Angels broadcaster. But when he was at ESPN, I, I've seen him call games against every diff different team. And 
he's just so enthusiastic. It's it's funny how yeah the, the the difference in that if you didn't know he called Angels games and it's like oh well why is that so different you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it, it's different because you're broadcasting to a certain audience, right? Yeah, it's your job. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, quick quick to cut in. Um, there's some breaking news actually. John Heyman reported a lot of optimism now that the Nats can get a Juan Soto deal done with the Padres, but nothing official yet. Cool. Hmm. Something to look for. 23-year-old getting traded. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we thought when the Phillies got Bryce at his age, it was a great deal because he was still very much in his prime, yeah. still is, at least another year or two of his prime. But but uh, 23, with all that talent, um, I I wouldn't hesitate to, to trade a couple of prospects because you're not trading for an old player. You're trading for a player who is a – legitimate superstar who has already proven himself and he's still only 23. So um, to me, this is one where I heard the Cardinals were, were balking on a couple of their prospects or even Carlson or some of their players. I'm like, I I just wouldn't let it get in the way. There are are certain times we might come back to this subject. when We talk about the flyers. There are certain times when I think a general manager is in a get it done position where it's like, it might not feel good. You might be giving up a lot of the future you might be giving up a little more than your gut tells you you should, but you just got to get it done. And to me, for either the Padres or the Cardinals, where they are, uh, with good teams that probably should be better than where they are right now, and they've they both had injury issues, but but um, I, I think that that's a player that can take them over the top. And oh, for sure. So if they don't trade too much away from their current roster, um, I just get that deal done. It's just, oh, yeah. you know. Well. So- you bring up the Flyers real quick to pivot off of the baseball talk. Um, some of the thoughts, like you said, the last 10 years haven't been quite what they were. You know, even when I was growing up, it was every year it felt like conference finals. I know some of the earliest memories, you know, the JR goal against Toronto, um, you know, losing to Tampa in seven, stuff like that um, was early for me, but I, I was late into the hockey. Um, what are the Flyers last season? You know, some of the thoughts, obviously it wasn't a great season. But they did show some promise at different times. I saw them down here in Carolina a couple times, and they fought. They fought their tails off. Um, and, and moving forward, what do you what do you uh, what do you expect from the team this year? Maybe moving forward. Well, it, it was a tough year, um, mainly because of injuries. I, I know it sounds like an excuse, but uh, you know everybody loses some players. But the, the Flyers lost their top two centers and their second best, maybe their best defenseman, for virtually the entire year. Um, so there were a lot of other injuries as well. So that's a lot. Um, and I, I just, I, I see a lot of people out there. Um, I expect it in social media because that's what social media is for, the overreaction. Um, but I, I see a lot of analysts um, out there just just destroying the organization, saying they're eons and eons away from being a, a contender. And, and I just don't buy it. Um, and here's my theory on it. Two years ago, uh, this team with Claude Giroux as well, and that's a big part of the nucleus gone. I, I must admit to that. We can talk about that and how they might have been able to replace it. But um, th- this team from mid-November to mid-March, this was the 1920 season when the world came to a halt, um, they, had, they tied for the second most points in the NHL from mid-November to mid-March. That's not a streak. That, that is a long stretch, four months. That's well over – that's probably about two-thirds of a season where they had uh, only one team, Tampa, had more points than they did over that stretch. 
So they were a good team, and they weren't doing it by smoke and mirrors. They they had the least amount of shots on goal allowed per game at that point, so they, they were really playing Elaine Vigneault's system very well. And then, of course, COVID hits, and everything shuts down. They come back in the bubble. They did fine. They, they won the round robin. They won their first round. They lost the seven games in the second round. They, they didn't have the same. They weren't playing as well. They weren't shutting teams down as well. Carter Hart had a lot to do with that first-round playoff win, and then they – needed three overtime wins to get the Islanders to, to game seven. So I think somewhere in there, they had kind of lost the mojo, but they did push on and get to the second round. So everything seemed to be all right, because what was happening at that point was the Ron Hextall rebuild was starting to bear fruit. The Ivan Provorovs, Travis Sanheims, Travis Konechny's, Carter Hart's were all blossoming. And the veteran core was playing well too, and they were contributing. You know, the Voraceks and Giroux's and Couturier's and, and the like. So it, it was coming together. It really was. And then the pandemic hit. They came back, made a good show of themselves in the bubble. And then the next season comes around. And they got off to a pretty good start. Again, weren't playing particularly well. Again, Carter uh, had some big, big games in there. Elliot as well. And, uh, you know, they got, I think it was a pretty good start, 9-3-3, three, and three, something like that. But they weren't playing well. He didn't have a great feel about it. And then COVID hit. They lost everybody. They had to play that game in Lake Tahoe where they shouldn't have had to play because they, they basically had uh, about seven or eight regular players. And uh, it just went downhill after that. And they never could get it back. Um, so my theory is, and, and then last year with the injuries. So my theory is that you're never quite as far away as you think you are. It's not like it was 20, 30 years ago in sports because the salary caps make it that way. You Teams cannot hoard all these good players and be dynastic unless they're really skillful. And I mean, Tampa Bay has been unbelievably good at keeping this run alive, but they've had to do it using different players, moving players in and out of their lineup. So with a player movement, now you can, you can go from near the bottom of the standings to the top pretty quickly. In fact, the St. Louis blues went from the bottom of the standings in early January of, of one season to winning the cup. That was 2019. So, um, I just don't buy all this. They're in a, they need to tear it down, five-year rebuild. It's just – I just don't buy it at all. I had a theory going into this offseason they needed four things to happen. One, make the right choice with the head coach, and I think they did that. John Tortorella is a, a, a good coach for this situation. He will get this team structured, um, and I think they'll be much better defensively and they'll be a team that will play with a lot of grit, and I think that's kind of what they needed. The second element is health. Not doing so well on that front so far. Joel Farabee, uh, his surgery, he's out. It looks like at the start of the year. Now uh, uh, Brink, Bobby Brink uh, has a surgery. He's going to miss the start of the season, and the Ryan Ellis situation continues to be a question mark. So uh, health is uh, not quite checked off yet. Uh, I think the coaching box is checked, not maybe the health, but they they can't be as unhealthy as they were last year. You're just not going to be successful. So hopefully they, they are. More. The good news is they have Katuri. He looks to be healthy. Uh, Kevin Hayes should be healthy. Uh, and some of the other guys uh, hopefully will be you know healthier than they were last year. Third element for me was for the young core, the younger players. And this includes the young veterans like Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim, and the youngsters like Cam York and players of that ilk, uh, uh, Noah Cates and when, when healthy Joel Farabee, they have to take a bigger bite out of the team. Uh, and the, the young veterans, the, the Konechny, Sanheims, Provorovs, were doing that 
and then the pandemic hit and they have not found their games. Sanheim did last year, but the other two haven't really found their games since then. Um, that has to happen. And I think can happen under the direction of a new coaching staff and with a new season and just getting things, hopefully with no COVID breaks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I think that can happen for that, those guys. And I, I do anticipate that the, the young players are really going to get better. I think Cam York has a, has a lot of potential. And I, I also was very impressed with Noah Cates last year. And I think that Joel Farabee, one healthy, is definitely a solid player. So those players and, and others that, you know, your, your foresters and players who haven't been here yet uh, have to take a bigger bite out of this team. That was three. And then four to me was the one where the Flyers had to add. And, and Chuck Fletcher talked about this at the end of the year, top-end talent. Um, and Tony D'Angelo fits that on the back end. Uh, he is a dynamic offensive defenseman. I think some people have portrayed him as um, uh, another version of Shane Gostisbehere. I, I don't agree with that. I think he's a better player than Gostisbehere in his own zone. Uh, he does take risks, turns the puck over, and that will lead to some defensive problems. But Tony will battle you. Um, Tony is not uh, as, as small as, as, as Ghost. This doesn't play as small as Ghost from time to time did. Both both of those players obviously skilled in terms of creating offense from the blue line. So I think that D'Angelo was a good pickup. But they also had a chance, as we all know, to pick up another guy in, in Johnny Gaudreau, and they didn't didn't do it. Um, so they're making Chuck Fletcher is making the, the, he's banking it on the fact that the coaching change health and Tony D'Angelo helping the power play will be enough to get this thing turned around. It might be. Um, and I, I don't know what the offers were in terms of trying to shed salary to get Johnny Gaudreau in under the cap. I don't know what they were expecting the flyers to attach to James Van Riemsdyk or any other player they might have been thinking of trading. So I can't really comment on that, but it might've been one of those, as I was talking to you about the baseball earlier, one of those, you know, you get it done moments, worry about the consequences later, but they want it. They didn't want to get rid of all their first round picks. And I can understand that, but Johnny Gaudreau would have fit this team in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he would have helped the power play. He certainly would have kind of replaced Giroux's production, which they haven't done uh, up front. Uh, you know, they traded Claude Giroux. We all know that. And they have not added a player, uh, of his ilk since. And I thought Gaudreau would actually probably a little bit at this stage of his career, better than G who is, uh, you know, 34. Um, I thought it would have been a nice pickup. It would have been a great PR pickup, obviously for the organization. He's a local kid. Um, and, uh, but I'm biased on this. Um, uh, full disclosure. My son went to Johnny Gaudreau's high school. They skate some in the summer together. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau's father coached my son in high school. I know the family. I know how much he wanted to play here, so I am biased. I've wanted him to play here since the day he, he uh, you know, put a skate on it. I saw him play, uh, so it would have been fun, but that's not happening. Um, and so we move on with, with what we've got, and the Flyers are counting on D'Angelo having a very positive impact on that power play because that power play has to be better. They're not going anywhere without, uh, you know, uh, improvement there. I'm not saying they have to be at the top of the league, but they got to at least get to the middle of the league in the power play. I mean, they were at the bottom last year, and you just can't be there. And the penalty kill has to be better, too. I have a lot of confidence. They have a good staff. Brad Shaw was brought in. I think he's really going to help the, the defense and the penalty kill. Rocky Thompson has some interesting um, theories on the, the power play. Uh, I, I like torts, as I told you. So I think the coaching uh, improvement, and, and I'm not a Mike Yo hater. I think Mike Yo if he's given a, a full gig can do a really good job too. He had a tough, 
tough assignment taking over when he did with this team with with all the injuries and with the COVID was uh, hit right after he took over and all this stuff. So, but I do like Tortorella. I do like the staff he's assembled, and I think that's going to have a positive impact. And they're going to be harder to play against, and I think they're going to allow fewer goals. I think that's going to really help Carter Hart blossom. Uh, so there there are reasons to be optimistic going into this year. Yeah, I know a couple of takeaways from uh, from what you had just said. Like I know. I had gone with one of my buddies. We went the year that we, we saw them play St. Louis in Philadelphia. Actually, the, the night after the, the double doink. And I'm a big Bears fan, so watching Grady kick a football into the stands, making fun of Cody Park, he was great. But we, we, we saw the Blues turn it around, like you said, as fast as they did, which was crazy with you know Craig Berube. Um, and we talked about on the podcast a whole lot. The Flyers were quite possibly the most injured team, or if not the most, one of the most injured teams in all of hockey last year. So last season, I feel like is such a a big question mark as they have talent on that team. You just don't know what to expect, I guess, moving forward in the sense that there's talent. I, we, we both like the uh, the coaching pickup as well. Um, it's, it's very much just a big wait and see. I think the Flyers are one of the better stories in, in the NHL this season as like a you don't really know what you're going to get. And I think it'll be fun to watch with that young talent. And yeah, I know Johnny Goudreau. We, we, I don't know if we'll get over that for a little while. We don't know what, what it could have been, but yeah, Johnny G was obviously one, two and three, I think on the go get list, but I guess you, you got to try to have some faith in Chuck Fletcher, you know, if he's just doing his job, I guess, but. Well, I, it's hard to completely criticize him without having the details of what yeah. was being asked for all we know. They're asking for both, the 03 first round pick and an 04 first round pick. And at some point Chuck probably has to say, no, I, I can't do that. Um, you know, I, I personally, if it was just the 04 pick that they're getting from Florida, the one they got for Giroux, I do that in a heartbeat because that's probably going to be a low first round pick. Anyhow, Florida is a pretty good team mm-hmm. and um, 04 or not 04, but 24, the 24 uh, season, to me is 24. This is, you know, 22, 23 chance to get Johnny Gaudreau. And I thought he met a lot of different um, areas of need for this team, both on and off the ice. But again, I don't, maybe they wanted the Oh three first round pick. And it's tough to get rid of that one because it's supposed to be one of the better drafts in a long, I keep saying, Oh, the 23 drafts, <laughs> well, you're which, good. Uh, uh, which um, is going to, uh, according to the experts, be one of the better drafts we've seen. Um, I don't think the Flyers wanted to get rid of that. So that might have been the, the sticking point. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was disappointing. And I think the way it played out that they weren't even ever in the mix kind of ticked off fans. But uh, to say they weren't in the mix, and, and, and Chuck was the one who said it. So um, I think he meant that they never made an offer. I would think that they at least considered it uh, because it was staring them in the face. Um, yeah. Everybody knew that Johnny Gaudreau – one of the teams, and personally, I think the team you wanted to play for was, was the Flyers. And, um, you know, so you've got to, as a as a general manager, you have to, if you're doing your job, you have to at least look into it. And I think he looked into it, but what he, what he found was he could not shed enough salary. And he must have made that decision pretty early because they spent the money on D'Angelo, yeah. you know, well before the, the free agent period opened up. So they must have made this uh, – this assessment pretty early on that they weren't going to be able to afford Johnny Gaudreau. And so we move on. Sure. Right, Great ahead, news coming in. Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the Padres. Wow. Wow. The deal, the deal is done. Um, uh, speaking of baseball, Jim, 
your Phillies reaction this year and what do you expect from the second half? Me and Jacobs think that they're going to make the playoffs and we're really not sweating it. Some people disagree. Some people think they have a chance to win the division. I would sweat it a little more after what you just told me, but um, yeah. I mean, San Diego should take off. They, they eventually will get healthy and get Soto and Bell and add that to that lineup. But I don't know what they gave up from their current roster. I'm assuming this is mostly a prospect deal, but um, so the Padres might become a team that takes off and, you know, uh, if they, Oh, I forgot. They got Josh Hader yesterday too. Yeah. They will uh, be coming back too. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I think they could take off and obviously it's going to be tough for the Phils to catch the Braves. So now it's Phil's Cardinals, right? And the Cardinals are a tricky team. We'll see. I think they've underachieved so far. I do believe the Phillies will make the playoffs. Then again, making the playoffs in baseball isn't what it used to be. It's, uh, you know, they've watered it down too much for my liking for a season of 162 games. Let's make it worth something. But, uh, you know, six teams in each league. And then these short playoff series, which baseball is not really made for that. And I don't know. I kind of like the wild card the way it was because at least winning the division meant something. You win the division, you don't have to play in that do or die one game wild card playoff. Um, I kind of liked it the way it was, but uh, then again, I probably liked it the way it was before they went to the wild card. So you know, <laughs> who knows? But uh, I do think they will make the playoffs. They they held up extremely well without Bryce Harper. Uh, they've played played well. Uh, I, I'm really perplexed as to why they took off after Joe Girardi was fired, I, I can't imagine in baseball, a manager is the least influential in my opinion of the four majors. I mean, there's, it's such an individual sport pitcher versus hitter. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Rob Thompson, I got to know in my time with the Phils, like him a lot. He's a great baseball guy. Um, and obviously he's done a great job, but I just have a hard time believing that Joe was that much of a drain on this team, but certainly the results would say he is uh, so I think they will make the playoffs, but let's face it. They're the fourth highest paid team in major league baseball. They're above the luxury tax. They shouldn't be struggling to make the playoffs. They should be one of the world series co-favorites. They should sure. be with the Dodgers and you know, the Yankees and all these teams that are, are considered to be real favorites. They shouldn't be just struggling to make the playoffs with the, with the payroll they have. And you know, that, they were there with Bryce Harper. They were still struggling in a wild card position when Bryce got hurt. They weren't, they weren't running the table with Bryce and they didn't make the playoffs with Bryce last year either. So when they had a very high, uh, high salary uh, payroll. So to me, they better make the playoffs. This, this is it for the Phillies. They've got some guys who are in their late twenties heading toward 30 and the downside, they're going to be paid a lot and have long contracts, especially when it comes to Harper and they don't have a farm system that's loaded. It's gotten a little bit better of late, but it's not a loaded farm system. So, you know, where's the future here? The future is now for this team. They better make the playoffs. Yeah, no, I you hit the nail on the head on everything we've said this season, you know, looking at it. And I think it just lit a fire under him, I guess, is the only thing I could guess when they got rid of Joe. It was like, well, it's time to look ourselves in the mirror and we gotta we just gotta do it. But yeah, I, you know, I, I Ryan, I actually think it's the exact opposite. I think really? that he he basically let them be themselves. I, 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 knowing Rob Thompson, he's not a 
strict disciplinarian. He's not a gung, you know, rah-rah guy. He, he, I think they might've maybe Joe and his intensity and Joe Girardi's a very, I have a lot of respect for Joe Girardi, but he's, he's maybe so intense that maybe he suffocated the team a little bit. He changed, Mm -hmm. made changes a lot when, you know, very quickly when things weren't going well. And maybe Rob Thompson just came in and said, all right, guys, let's relax and let's go play ball. And they have, and they've played very well for him. Yeah, well, no, that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Here's the thing, I think. When Joe Girardi was hired, it, it was a good hire because they needed a big discipline guy at that time. But now you're at the point where you got these guys, and they, you say it, well, uh, the chemistry they got. They just want to go out there and have fun. And I think that's what they're starting to have. And I think Rob Thompson, you know, not not always on their back the whole time. Like Girardi was really helped. Yeah. And I, I also a big th- a big thing they realize is when they didn't hit the ball, when Joe Girardi got fired, I think they looked at themselves in the mirror. I've me and Jacobs have talked about this before, and they told themselves, "We are the reason Girardi got fired." If you if you really think about it, it they they couldn't hit the ball for the longest time, fourth highest payroll. Cassiano couldn't hit. Schwarber couldn't hit. It, it was it was a mess. You you guys all saw at the beginning of the season before Schwarber got hot, he couldn't hit for nothing. Yeah, the yeah. thing that I, I fear with this Phillies team, just looking at the makeup of the lineup outside of Harper, who over the last two years has just been one of the you know best players out there. and uh, But they are a very all-or-nothing offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Schwarber at the, you know, Castellanos, all these guys, it's, it's pretty much all-or-nothing with them. And even – through their success, we see them have these blips like with against the Cubs, and we, we see these stretches where they don't score for three or four games. Um, so I'm not sure heading toward a stretch run in, in the playoffs. I mean, if they're in a good situation in the playoffs, they can beat anybody, but they could get they could get taken out quickly by good pitching. Um, you know, the Mets might very well be sending if they end up playing in a series against the Mets, you know, DeGrom and <laughs> DeGrom and Scherzer and woof. Have fun with that. And the Braves, this will be an interesting set for them here. A couple of games here coming up, see how they do in that. I mean, one of them's a bullpen game for the Phils. That's not so much fun, but they got Wheeler in the other game. But, you know, I, I just don't know as if they're good enough to, to play with these teams that are legitimate World Series contenders. I mean, the Mets certainly have to be considered that. Now, the way they've played without having Scherzer and DeGrom for so long, and now they're getting those two back. Uh, and you know, I, I don't even know what the situation is with the Braves with Soroka. Is he is he coming back or has he been deemed out for the year? I don't even know. But uh, I, I, yeah, I think it's a question mark at this point. I mean, if they get him back, they're getting an ace back down the stretch too. So while the Phillies are waiting to get Harper back, these these guys, these other teams are getting some top top pitchers back, and uh, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. But it has been kind of an all or nothing offense. They'll score ten runs, then they'll go two games where they score one total run. You know, so um, they, they've got to avoid those lapses somehow harper will certainly help that and the word is that he's now maybe a mid to late august comeback so um you know pins are out should be should be uh, on his way back so that'll be huge yeah you know you talk about the cubs phillies the 15 to 2 game i i was at it was it was a great time you know watching a backup catcher pitch in the ninth but <laughs> um a game i was not at to pivot a little bit back to hockey flyers penguins overtime everybody knows the game you know way back when you were you were there jim and not to say way back when you know make you, but um <clears throat> some reactions as to you know memories of the game itself and I, what time did that game was it like two three o'clock yeah it was 
two thirty, I believe, when it ended. Just wow. about two thirty in the morning. It was um, ah, a night and morning that I'll never forget. It was uh, it was one of those things where it was a to to put you back into the series. The, the Flyers had lost the first two games of the series at home, pretty convincingly, and the. Similar to where they are right now, the, the buzzards were out. Uh, the writers were saying the time had passed the Flyers by. They weren't skilled enough. They hadn't kept up with the NHL. and It's all stuff you still see. It's hilarious. If you, you, you look back 25 years ago and see articles that uh, pretty much mirror what I'm reading from Mike Sielski and some other people now. It's like, uh, okay, uh, all right. Um, but anyhow, that seriously, a couple of stories came out. Penguins are just too much skill. Flyers haven't kept up with them. So game three, the Flyers win in overtime on an Andy Delmore goal. Um, we didn't do that game. It was a network game. So I, we were actually, I would coach C. Dorney and I, I think sitting in the stands in Pittsburgh watching that game. <laughs> and uh, so the Flyers are back in the series. They win a game. It's 2-1. But most people still say, yeah, they, they eked out an overtime win. Big deal. So along comes game four. And it's a huge game. If the Flyers lose that game, they're down 3-1 with no hope of coming back in the series because just the way it was going. If they win, ah, it's 2-2, and who knows? And, you know, the Penguins score in their very first shot. It's one nothing, and uh, Flyers eventually get that goal back much later on. And it's a 1-1 game in overtime. And it's a huge game. So as an announcer, you're just worried about getting a good call on the overtime goal. Because it's a big, big goal in the, the history of the franchise, really, whether they're probably going to win this series and, and go on or not. And, you know, first overtime comes and goes. And now you start looking into how does this stand in terms of Flyers history and the longest game? And the Flyers didn't have that many long games up to that point. So uh, it's, now you're starting to say, hey, I might be calling the longest game in Flyers history. This is pretty cool. If we get to triple overtime, we're, we're, we're there. And sure enough, we go through the second overtime, no goal scored. So now you're into third overtime. You know exactly how many minutes you have to get to to get to the longest Flyers game. You get there, and you're like, this is history. This is great. People always ask me, were you tired? No, I was never tired because the adrenaline carries you. Oh, I believe it. Now, maybe in between periods, you, you calm down a little bit. You start thinking, oh, it's like 1.30. Um, <laughs> but I, I never got officially tired, I would say during that broadcast, then you, you get to the third overtime and nothing happens. And now you start looking at the NHL longest games and you realize you're, you're getting up there. If you get to that fifth overtime, you're going to get to the longest game since before forward passing was allowed. So in my mind, the longest game in modern NHL history, and they got there, you know, you get into that fifth overtime. And again, it's, it's all about, you want a good goal. You don't want a goal that deflects five times and you can't tell who scored or, a goal that you know banks in off of another team's the other team's player, anything like that, and Keith Primo certainly delivered that. So we we got a great goal. It was in plain sight; everybody could see it. Um, Flyers win, tie the series, and then just storm to a six-game series win. And so much for not having enough skill to keep up with the Penguins and the rest of the NHL. And that was put to rest for several more years until the next time they struggle. Every every time that the team struggles it's it dragged up and mike does it a lot silsky these days uh, he's done it forever quite frankly the flyers are still paying for being stuck in the, the past and <laughs> it's just not the case because when you look at the flyers went to a rebuild under ron hextall 
where they completely got away from their past. Mm-hmm. They, they completely did away with of making quick snap decisions to pick up older free agents. They went to more of a skating free flow team and that rebuild takes a while. That's the kind of rebuild people are calling for now. Um, and it was just starting to bear its fruit, as I said, in 19 in, in 2019 and 20 and 2020. And then, then the pandemic hit and they haven't been able to get their bearings back, but um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with being stuck in the past. It really doesn't. And if anything, as you see with the John Tortorella being the head coach, and now they go out and get Nick Delorier and they're making some of these other moves, they feel they got too much away from that. Um, and, and they weren't hard enough to play against and things like that. Um, it, it has nothing to do with being stuck in the Broad Street bully days or the days of going out and getting whatever free agent. You can't do that with a salary cap anymore. So um, I, I, it's, that argument is just, to me, it's just uh, it's old news. It's, it's, um, it's stale. But some, some people keep bringing it back up. And we heard it right there in that series in 2000 when <laughs> down 2 nothing, there were stories about how they're just not skilled enough to keep up with the NHL. And, you know, a week later, they had beaten the Penguins in six games. I love it. And, by the way, one other memory from that night. We came back from one of the um, overtime intermissions, and they had brought some pizza up to us. Just to get us some food, and and I look over, and we had to kind of hurry. The intermissions aren't as long in overtime, and we come back on, and we're kind of rushing to get on, and we go to the stand up, and I look, and we're on camera, and I look at Gary Dornhofer, and he's got a little, he's got a little pizza sauce dripping from his mouth. And so I'm like, I don't know, it wasn't high def yet, no high def back then, so they probably couldn't see it with the cameras, but uh, I could see it, and I had to hold back from laughing. And also early in the first period of that game, Steve Coates, who's he was known for spilling things once in a while, dumped uh, uh, soda all over my notes. So my notes, which I like to keep from that game, are pretty much invisible because I did not have waterproof ink, and I lost my notes for most of the game too. So that's another interesting anecdote from that marathon night. So real quick before Declan, I know goes in, if you had to pick, I know it's incredibly memorable, you were able to do with, with Philly-Boston as well, the comeback. Was there like a, a game in there where you kind of knew it was going to happen or just what what did you enjoy more? I know it's tough, but the, the comeback against Boston or that overtime win against Pittsburgh? I I never compare. I mean, I, yeah. I enjoyed the shootout win over the Rangers in, oh, yeah. in 2010 that got them into the playoffs before they had that comeback just as much. I mean, uh, it doesn't get much better than a shootout against your top rival. Winner goes on, loser goes home. I mean, and it was here. I mean, it was uh, – that's I, – I have just as positive memories about that. But the comeback against Boston, I remember I did not do game four. Okay. I was at the ballpark doing Phillies and watching on a monitor um, after I got done. I think the Phillies game got over first, and I was done with the postgame show. And I was literally watching on the monitor when Gagne scored in overtime to win game four to make it three games to one. And I remember I was sitting there and I'm talking to my producer, um, Mike Tuberosa, um, my Phillies producer, and saying, well, if, you know, if uh, Bruins score here, I'm, I'm Phillies only for the next four months. You know, fires are done. If not, I got to go to uh, Boston for game five. And there was probably a little bit saying, why don't they just get it over with? Because they're not going to come back from three nothing down this series. But when Gagne scored that goal, I literally turned to Mike and said, well, 
Might as well win the series now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they won game five. Uh, they lost Brian Boucher. Had to go back to, to Mike Blayton and uh, somehow just kept finding ways. And then game seven in Boston. Crazy. Just unbelievable. I mean, they fall behind 3 nothing, and you're like, well, it was nice. Um, and then they get a bouncy bounce goal from JVR, and uh, they're back in it. Hartsey scores, and, uh, you know, before you know it, they, they've tied it, and then Gagne scores, and, and you're like, is this really happening? As an announcer, you just want to stay on top of it because you're almost in disbelief. Um, and I don't the, – the, the theme, the, the commercials that ran all year that year in the playoffs were history is made. They were great commercials. I don't know if you remember them. but mm-hmm. yeah. um, And so it was so obvious to say that once they, they won the, the game. And, of course, Giroux had that great shift – uh, late in that game where he just kept the puck in his skates along the boards for about 30 seconds with three or four Bruins all over him. And uh, it was just, it ended and history was made. It was, it was great to be part of it. Um, I also knew that this was toward the end of when there would be any second round broadcast for, for local broadcasters, because the word had been out that the next uh, uh, national deal with NBC was going to just uh, cut locals back to the first round. So if that happened this year or any other year, we wouldn't even do that game. It would be all network uh-huh. in the second round. So it was uh, great to get the chance to do that and uh, always will have that memory. Yeah, never would have saw Bill Clement with a tie on his head after post game. I'll never forget it. Well, that was uh, that was Bill. That was when he did a game with Doc, right? I, I yeah. think we might have reenacted it, but he did a game with Doc. I believe it was the Washington Islanders triple oh, okay. overtime game where he actually came back and I think had nothing but the tie on over his head or something <laughs> it might, it might have gotten he might have gotten a little flack uh, from the network execs on that one but we, we kind of reenacted it although he kept his shirt on i believe sure and uh yeah we had fun with it hey you're gonna have to have fun with a moment like that it was just uh, i remember walking to the arena uh walking from the arena after the morning skate that day of game seven with bill and saying asking bill you really think they can pull this off he goes they got this far they can pull it off and um, then they fall behind three nothing before you can blink and it's like all right where do we go from here? But they, they just found a way in that team. And, you know, that's that team they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2010. They went to the Conference Finals in 2008. You know what they did in 2006, 2007? Yeah, they were, what, the worst team in the NHL, Worst right? team in the NHL, worst team in franchise history. Yeah. So, now, they had more cap space to work with. Paul Holmgren came in and he made, yeah, obviously went out and got uh, Danny Briere and Scott Hartnell, Kimo and a whole bunch of players. Um, which the Flyers do not have that luxury now with the cap. But it goes to show you about this, because that team, the 06-07 team, was worse than the team this yeah. past season. They they were out of it so early, and there was no chance of any kind of anything happening. We were doing prospect promos in November. So, <laughs> I mean, it was over early. And that team, the very next year, went to the conference finals. Three years later, went to the, the Stanley Cup finals. So, don't give me this. It takes five years to rebuild. Yeah. It just does not. Yeah. Uh, Jim, pretty simple question. Your favorite flyer now and all time to watch. I can't have favorites. Um, I mean, I have a lot of them. I don't have a single one. I can tell you, I have a player that I like for this much. Like right now, this, this current team, Scott Lawton is one of the most forthright guys. I love going to Scotty to talk to him because he's going to give me the lowdown. He's not going to give me any of the, you know what? And um, so I love that to watch as a player. I mean, Lindros in my first couple of years here was just a machine. 
Um, I mean, he was just uh, so much faster, bigger. He just seemed like he stood out so much out there on the ice. And then when once they got LeClaire and, and, and Renberg and that line, watching that line, the Legion of Doom for the first two or three years of their existence, um, hard to be better than that. But I'll say Peter Forsberg, when he um, – the first 20 – unfortunately, again – injuries but the first 20 games of peter forsberg may have been the best i've seen a philadelphia flyer play uh, he came in he was on a line with gagne and canubel and it was just flat out dominance and then i remember that it was yeah, magic yeah and then his ankle started acting up and he was still very good but never quite as dominant those first 20 or so games he was just off the charts good um there was keith primo in the 04 playoffs where he was just a monster uh, you know, that was very memorable for, for an individual performance. If you remember that, I mean, he was just, he just took those games over, got them to the conference finals. Um, and, you know, for extended excellence, Claude Giroux, I mean, there, there, there there's so many instances of, of G coming up big late in games or in overtime. And uh, so it's tough for me to just say one favorite Um uh, current flyers it's such a brand new team i mean i love sean couturier how can you not he's one of the better two-way players uh, you know what you're getting all the time if if he's healthy uh, i'll put him out there goal up goal down and i'll be very very uh, happy um and you know so but but that, there's others and I, I loved what i saw from cam atkinson last year when he was healthy uh, i'm a big carter hart guy i do think that if you get a good system in front of him you you play structured you you keep your defense somewhat healthy um i i think he's going to be a very good goaltender and um we've seen glimpses of it but we have also seen carter play behind some really beat up teams and some teams that weren't really all on the same page too and uh, i think that's hurt his numbers and probably hurt people's impression of of him but uh he's still a very young goalie and i i think that he's a guy that under uh, john totarella and the system he plays, shot blocking being emphasized and just making sure the house is protected, um, I, I think he could thrive. So um, there's, there's a lot of hey, – I've been here 30 years now, so I'm Rod Brindamore. I loved watching him play. Wayne Simmons. I, there's just so many guys. I could never pick one favorite. Uh, uh, Jake Voracek, can't forget Jake. He was just a phenomenal and, and also a great guy to talk to. He would just give you the, the lowdown and – be straightforward about it. Shane Goss is bear also a very forthright guy would, would, would not uh, mince words with you. So uh, there, there's a lot of, of people I, I, I could sit here and mention. I mean, in 30 years, I've probably broadcast, I guess somewhere around, I would guesstimate some, I, what would you say? Probably 30 to 35 players a year play for the flyers. So yeah. 900 players. I don't, there, there, there's a lot of players I've, I've, I've seen and, called and interacted with and many of them i would call my favorites but i can't say one sure uh so i guess real quick i know we talked a little before we got started with the interview said you're a big big football guy any any predictions this season um broad base whatever it may be um anything you think might happen maybe super bowl favorite you thinking about it's still early but yeah i haven't even i haven't begun my uh prep no (laughs) Uh, looking i mean i i saw the movement uh seems the nfl now is all about quarterback movement in particular uh uh, in off seasons now but um i I, eagles certainly deserve some consideration to be one of those teams that could really make a jump um i don't really think they were that good last year i you know they they beat bad teams 
didn't beat many good teams, uh, but they made some major improvements in the offseason. Um, everyone's putting it all on Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. Um, I can't, he could probably progress to great. I, I think, again, with, with where we go with social media and everything these days, last year, I don't know, it was probably week seven, week eight, somewhere in the middle of the season, I had my radio on as I'm driving around. I heard one radio commentator say, the Eagles aren't going anywhere when they have a backup quarterback in charge. So they're calling Jalen Hurts a backup quarterback. The very next week, he had a good week that week. The very next week, I go out to my driveway to pick up my USA Weekly and on the cover of his franchise QB, Jalen Hurts. <laughs> That's where we're at sometimes now in our coverage of sports. We just fluctuate. And Jalen Hurts could be somewhere between Tom Brady and the worst quarterback ever to play. You know, he could be somewhere in between. And I think he is. And I, I, I think he's good. I think he could be great. And we'll probably find out this year because they have certainly given him more weapons. Uh, they have the great line and they have good lines on both sides of the ball. So I, I think this is a team I'm not 100% sold on Sirianni, but I think this is a team that, that could, could surprise people. We'll see. Um, uh, the NFC East is not exactly uh, spectacular right now. I mean, the Cowboys, who knows uh, the other two teams don't impress me that much. So uh, I, I think that uh, a division title is certainly there. And then you look at the rest of the NFC. Um, I mean, do you see a team that's unbeatable anymore? No, I don't really green Bay's taking hits. Uh, Brady comes back in Tampa, but I, you know, I put a tweet out when he retired and I said, you know, Tom Brady's beaten everyone in his career. And now he even beats father time. He gets out before he has that, ugly ending and i think he might have just ruined that yeah it's a possibility for sure i agree um and, you know and he, i'm a huge tom brady guy i think he's handled his success very well i know there's a lot of people jealous out there a lot of people like to rip him um, i don't agree with this decision it would have been a great time for him to get out he had led his team on a remarkable comeback they lost because their defense blew it right uh, the rams came back and scored there so it's he can still go out saying hey i you know i went out playing really well and uh, now what if he has a year where he gets hurt or you know, and he, he's not as good. It just did he have to play another year? I, I don't know what what is there out there for him. I, he's got a lot, as far as I can see, he's got a lot, <laughs> a lot that he could could do. And he's going to go into broadcasting right away now. We know that, but it's I, I don't know. To me, it was weird that he came back, but I don't I don't think there's any guarantee Tampa's going to be great. Um, and the Rams maybe, but uh, you know we'll see. I mean, maybe the Rams are are the team that you have to to worry about because they obviously got it done last year, but so hard to repeat in the nfl um so uh, we'll see but i i do think the eagles have a shot sure yeah i think i know i don't know about declan i know myself i lean i think i like buffalo or the chargers myself they they just look real real good out but the oh, afc yeah. is a dog fight yeah yeah afc looks stronger to me oh yeah oh 100 yeah the afc west it could be the best division football ever uh, they've got the quarterbacks yeah that's for sure Declan, any other questions you want to ask before we let him go? Um, one of your favorite place to call road games. Uh, we know you travel a lot. You've pro- you've probably been at- everywhere. Yeah, you you have to been the most places. Well, just- been, yeah, I've been to Seattle yet because we did not travel last year in oh. the first half of the year, a little more than first half, and then we didn't go to Canada in the second half because of problems there. I'm hoping. We're going everywhere this year. Don't know that for sure. 
Um, but uh, favorite spots, it's another tough one for me. I love Montreal. The, the arena in Montreal is probably my favorite, and I'm probably guilty of bias here because we have a great broadcast location there. We are out over the ice. It's just so – we're close. It's just awesome. Um, so that might color my opinion a bit, but it's also just a great atmosphere there in Montreal. They're, they're so into their hockey and stuff. So that always jumps out as one of my favorites. But uh, I also love um, Tampa. Tampa has a great game presentation. Vegas – great job with their game presentation and you just feel like you're at a theatrical event as well as a hockey game. Um, I like the city of Dallas. So I like going to Dallas. Um, uh, I don't even mind St. Louis. I like St. Louis as a town and was fortunate enough to be able to broadcast a couple of playoff games for TNT there this year and get to spend some time in St. Louis. And I like St. Louis as a, as a city and their fans really get into their hockey. So, uh, but I, I can go on and on. I, I, there's not, I mean, when we weren't traveling for a couple of years, Winnipeg looked very attractive to me. So, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm never going to take for granted any trip ever again because um, I like going on the road. It's uh, much easier to call a game when you're in person as opposed to off a TV monitor. And it's, it really doesn't seem like you're actually broadcasting a game when you're sitting in a studio. Um, you do your best, do your absolute best, but it's certainly much better to be at the facility. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I was surprised even in Carolina. You know, I mean, there, there's some crazy fans, the Caniacs down there. I, I love there. Carolina. I love Raleigh. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when they're going well, obviously, the oh, yeah. attendance dropped off there when they had their down period. But now it's the Caniacs are back and it's a loud building and uh, we're very high there. But um, but it's still a great, great venue. Um, I, and obviously, MSG, it's awesome atmosphere there. Uh, you know, you don't want to forget just because it's a, a close you know, a place in New York City. I mean, New York City is New York City. There's so much to, to do there. And, um, you know, Buffalo has had such a long, long run of bad hockey out of the playoffs. But they have a very loyal fan base. If that team builds off of what they, they did last year and, and they'll get the fans right back. And that is a fun place um, to, to that arena and so forth. The Boston great yeah i can go right i'll, I'll yeah. name every city before yeah. we're done but it's every every town every city every arena has something unique to it i mean uh, minnesota has the wild rice soup at the hotel there i love that best soup in the league uh, <laughs> and also a great great arena uh, xl energy center la what used to be staples center uh, what's it called now it's uh, crypto i think right it's called uh, crypto.com yeah, yeah that is a, a different feel to it um, kind of dark in the seats and light. It's uh, theatrical as well, and um, that's great. San Jose used to be a great spot. I mean, they've lost some of the luster lately, but they used to be very loud and always sold out there. So, it, it really, wherever you go, it's uh, looking forward to doing a game, hopefully in Arizona in the college rink this year. Because oh, that'll be exciting, yeah. It will be. I mean, if, yeah, hopefully we're traveling everywhere. I don't know that for sure yet, but um, so I, I'll take anything. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's great being – to all these arenas and seeing the fans and how different they are and how they support the teams in some cities more than others and, and how they support them and the, the intricacies of, of each city. So it's, it's fun. And it's why when I was a kid going full circle there in our conversation, why one of the reasons why I, I dreamed of doing this, I love to, to travel and be seeing different cities and seeing the, the different arenas. And um, so it's one of the things that I've certainly missed uh, over the last two, two and a half years. Absolutely. Well, I feel like we've talked your ear off. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I think I talked your ears off, actually. Believe me, I'm not, I, 
we'll yeah, we're not complaining. We'll sit here all day and talk <laughs> with you. So thank you so much for uh, for giving us your time. Uh, before we let you go, guys, we just want to again shout out. Watch out for the Flyers this season. We're excited. Watch Jim and everybody else with uh, NBC Sports Philly, um, North South Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify. Check us out. Uh, Declan, any final thoughts? Big episode. No, appreciate you coming on. It's an honor. My pleasure. Love talking sports. Love talking Flyers hockey. And uh, yes, have faith, Flyers fans. I think that they'll be better this year. I'm not promising a Stanley Cup or anything, but I think they'll be better this year. Um, and you know, if they're in contention, then maybe they go out and get some of that high end talent at the trade deadline, as opposed to in the off season. And we see we'll see where it goes. Absolutely, uh, guys. Check out on Twitter. We'll be tweeting about this. I'm sure quite a bit. And uh, tell your friends, family. You uh, you don't want to miss this one. So, again, Jim, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been a special episode of the North-South Pod. Thank you.